The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in the book of Exodus. If you have your Bible, um, please turn to chapter 20. We have uh, we've been looking at the book of Exodus, following along as God has been saving his people and leading them out of Egypt, and then now we are looking at God uh, engaging his people and telling them, what does it look like to be my people? Uh, And that's what we're looking at in the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to pray and ask for God's help, and then we're going to pick up and look at this together. Father, we thank you for saving us, and we thank you for bringing us out of darkness um, and sin and despair and the wreck of our lives. And we ask that you would continue to remind us of your goodness to teach us the freedom that we have in Christ and the joy it is to know you and obey you. Would you meet us now as we look at your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if this is a, for, for anybody who's in high school or in school, uh, this might not exactly be the best example, but when I was in high school, uh, I read one book in all four years of high school. <laughs> I used the cliff notes um, to get through. And that is more a testament to God's kindness and mercy. And Michelle, who knew me in high school, can attest to that, of um, how abysmal my, my record was of reading books or anything like that in high school. But I read the Cliff Notes. And if you guys have ever read Cliff Notes of books or you've ever read the Wikipedia page for a book, um, one of the things that's helpful about reading these summaries, right, apart from actually getting like a C on an exam about the book, is that it can help you draw out uh, and condense some of the themes of what the book is about, right? Have you ever read the, the Cliff Notes? They usually have kind of like, what are the main themes of this book? And it, it'll list, you know, like what, five to 10, like the difficulty of the man pressing down on you or whatever, you know? So there's all these, these different themes that it pulls out of a book. Um, and while the 10 commandments might seem really like a short list, right? You've only got 10. Uh, we actually get Cliff Notes of the 10 commandments uh, in the life of Jesus, which I think is a bit of a helpful entry point to looking at, uh, the commandments that we're looking at tonight. Last week, we looked at the first four. So there's kind of like two tables of, of the Ten Commandments, right? You have the first four that look at what does it mean to love God. And then the last six, kind of the vertical, uh, horizontal, I get those mixed up. The horizontal, <laughs> our, love with, our love to God upward and our outward love to our neighbors. And so what we're going to do is I'm going I'm to start us, but it's kind of like looking at Luke 10 with you, so actually, uh, it'll first it'll be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but uh, Luke 10 is this moment where Jesus summarizes, he gets us the cliff notes to the Ten Commandments, which is how we'll kind of engage and start looking at them, because they can be very kind of confusing, or a bit kind of like, seems like a random list, uh, but Jesus, I think, gets us into the heart of the Ten Commandments, um, and he's helping us to look specifically at the last section of these Ten Commandments, so... I'm going to read from Luke, just to kind of tell a story, right? So this is a typical story for Jesus. He is um, meeting with uh, his disciples, and he's teaching them about what it means to spread the kingdom of God. And then we have, in verse 25 of chapter 10 of Luke, And behold, a lawyer came, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. This is not an unusual situation, right? <laughs> Jesus gets put to the test all the time, right? He's always going at it with the Pharisees or a lawyer. And the lawyer stood up and said, uh, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? 
How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said it to and and Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then Jesus goes on to tell this parable, and it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan, which you might be familiar with, right? So the parable is a man's walking down the highway. Uh, he gets beaten up, robbed, and kicked to the side. And then two religious leaders walk by, ignoring to help him. And then the Samaritan, which is his blood-sworn enemy, walks by, helps him, takes care of him, pays for his way to get better, pays for his medical bills. And Jesus points to him, and he says to the, the, the lawyer, uh, who is the one, uh, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer responded, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So here we have this situation, right? We're talking about the cliff notes of the Ten Commandments. Cliff notes of the Ten Commandments for Jesus is, love your neighbor as yourself, which, understandable enough. And then Jesus tells this parable about showing mercy to a guy, right? It ends, show mercy. Which seems kind of like, all right, I don't see love or mercy in the Ten Commandments. (laughs) So how did Jesus get there? Right, if this is Jesus' cliff notes for the last half of the Ten Commandments, how do we get to a moment of saying, love your neighbor, which means to show mercy? Do you guys get the question I'm kind of wrestling with here? Because that's the question that I'm looking at. Okay, if this is Jesus saying, this is what the Ten Commandments mean, show mercy. You go and do likewise there in verse 37 of Luke. It seems a bit of an odd reading. Like, I don't quite get where he gets that from. The Ten Commandments. So we want to just remind you that these are the last five, the last six of the Ten Commandments, right? Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet. I don't see mercy in there. <laughs> so how does Jesus how does Jesus get to mercy? Because I think I think Jesus knows how to read this Bible. <laughs> I think Jesus knows how to understand this really well. And so I want to know, Jesus, how do you get from those six commandments, love your neighbor as yourself, which means to show mercy. So that's kind of what we're looking at tonight. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments, and we're going to look at them kind of um, at a sideways angle. Right? We're not going to go down the list and say each, this is what each one means and all that. We're going to look at them, but we're going to look at them through this lens. How does Jesus get to show mercy? So I want to do that by setting, just reminding us the context of the story up to this point, right? God has invaded Egypt. In the book of Exodus, he has invaded Egypt to save his people, to fulfill his 400-year-old promise. I'm going to take my people, and I'm going to make them a nation to myself. I'm going to invade Egypt. I'm going to destroy their gods, and then I'm going to show the Pharaoh he's nobody, and I'm the best, and that, Jesus, or that God's going to lead them out, right? He leads them out uh, through the Red Sea. And now they've come, and they're going to be his people. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, David preached for us from, from Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19, we see in uh, verses four, 5 and 6, Now therefore, if, indeed, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, this is God addressing the people that he's just saved, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, of all the, and for all the earth is mine. And then verse 6, which is kind of setting us up for understanding how Jesus gets to mercy. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Which means, God is saving these people 
so that there will be a kingdom of priests, which are, what do priests do? They go to God, they get grace, and they take it to people. You'll be a, a kingdom of people who go to God and get grace and take it to the nations. You will be a special nation. You'll be a special people that will be divi- de- de- defined as grace givers. So that's the context that the Ten Commandments are given. You're going to, as God is a grace giver, God's people are going to be grace givers. God is a gracious God, and to know God and obey him is to be a grace getter and a grace giver. And that's, the, that's the context of what's going on in the book of Exodus for the Ten Commandments. So then you, chapter 20, where you're looking at Exodus, right? the Ten Commandments start out with this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So to be the people of God, what, what God is saying here in the book of Exodus, what, to be his people is to be a liberated, to be a free people, to be grace givers, right? They have been saved out of bondage and decay and darkness and death and despair and slavery to be free as grace givers to the people around them. So I think if we're going to look at the last six commandments, the last six commandments you could probably summarize as this, we are freed to give grace to a broken world. Now, if you're looking at the Ten Commandments and you're probably asking, how the heck does Jacob get you're freed to give grace to a broken world out of these Ten Commandments on your father and mother, you shall not murder? We're going to look at that. That's the question we're going to be asking, Right? If we're free, the context of this is all about being free in God, free from slavery, free to something. We're going to be asking, what does freedom in God's kingdom look like? What is freedom? If he saved us to be something from something, what does that look like? So we're just going to be looking at these six commandments. And I want to start us by answering this question, what does freedom look like? First thing we're going to be looking at is we're freed from slavery. So point one, freed from slavery, right? Remember the context. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They are freed from oppression. And as God is giving these commandments, they are probably being reminded of all the ways that they were oppressed in Egypt. You have to remember the original story, right? What was going on in their story? They were... Um, enslaved, probably abused, neglected. They were slandered. They were oppressed. They were lied about. They were cheated. So you look at the Ten Commandments, and you look at these last six, right? So what's honor your father and mother? What's going on in that commandment? What's going on in that commandment is that God is saying, look, there's a, there's a right way to use authority. There's a right way that authority is used. And they're probably being reminded, oh no, no, remember Pharaoh, Pharaoh commanded my parents to kill my little brother. They've lived under oppressive authority. They've lived under oppressive authority that would destroy them and take them, take their lives from them, abuse them. Second, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Speaking of Pharaoh commanding children to be murdered. And we have Moses who was a murderer, Right? Murder is a part of the broken world that they are being saved from, the broken world that we are being saved from. Murder, which takes away, which says, my definition of the world is more important than you existing. Pharaoh did that on a large scale, right? We talk about the Hitlers of the world who do it on mass scale, but God's narrowing it down. Pharaoh did it on a pretty big scale. They're saved from a people, from a nation, 
where there was murder was just kind of commonplace. Right, seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. So that you can imagine that these are people that have probably been abused um, sexually or otherwise. They have had their bodies violated. And they've had it violated in oppressive context where they had no power. Stealing, right? You shall not, you shall not steal. Eighth commandment. How many things were taken from them? From their Egypt. Things were taken from them, I'm sure, you know? Well, not to mention that they had, uh, remember in the story, there's a section where, uh, let my people go, I'm not going to let your people go, and actually I'm going to not give them the things, uh, the straw, so they're going to have to go get the straw, and they're going to have to get it on their own, I'm going to take things away from them, so they're, in a, they're being saved from a dark nation that takes, that undermines their livelihood. You shall not bear false witness. Ninth commandment, right? How many times have we seen up in this story thus far, Pharaoh and Egypt hurling insults at the people of God, hurling insults at God, lying about who they are, lying about God, insulting them and demeaning them, using words as weapons against God's people. Using words as weapons. And then 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Now, we've seen this one actually play out in the life of the people of Israel. They're disgruntled and grumbling. Think they're coveting a couple things? <laughs> coveting, they were coveting to go back, right? They're coveting a life defined by their definitions rather than God, right? They're, they're, they're saying, God, you have to live according to my definition. You have to give me according to what I want, and I want it, and I want it now, and I would covet what you've not given me. So we see... Ten Commandments playing out in the story pretty clearly up to this point. And what we're seeing in the Ten Commandments is that God is looking at, the pe- at his people and he, he, and he is exposing, you've learned the native tongue of Egypt, right? We're talking about Egypt kind of like in a figurative sense, right? So we're not saying like hieroglyphics and all that stuff. <laughs> we're talking about this language of defining the world on my own terms. I will be my own king it will be King me against King God, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to fight God at all costs, showing that the world, what, it, what it, a world looks like defined by myself. A world, according to my own rules, demeans other people. It takes away their value. It uses words as weapons. It uses and abuses people, and it says that God must do things my way. I think we're seeing in the story, even up to this point, we don't have to go to the rest of the Bible. We just look at the first 20 chapters. There were people just like them who break and violate and don't live these laws, right? Our hearts speak the language of our slavery that we were in. We can't save ourselves. They can't save themselves. You see in the story up to this point, we're talking about this was the gospel, to be saved. Up to this point in the story, what have they done to contribute to them being saved from this darkness and oppression and slavery. They've done nothing. <laughs> they've done nothing to save themselves. They can't do anything, right? The only thing that they've done is they've contributed complaint, HR complaints, right? God, <laughs> I don't think Moses is such a great idea. Moses, I don't think God's such a great idea. They've been filing a few HR complaints along the way, haven't they? <laughs> they are complainers and grumblers. They have done nothing to contribute. They even get out of Egypt. God miraculously saves them and they're like, um, you brought us out here because there's not enough graves in Egypt. Can we just go back, please? 
Like, they are not doing anything to contribute to their salvation. And one of the ways we tend to read, or we can tend to read the Ten Commandments as kind of like self-improvement things. Like, okay, like don't cheat on your taxes. Um, don't lust after other people. Um, honor your parents. And we can kind of take these as like, okay, here's a self-help book. <laughs> right? But the, the self-help book, quote unquote, the, the Ten Commandments, there's no way that they could be a self-help book for us. Because they're, they're, they're right in the middle of the story of a bunch of people that are totally messed up and jacked up, just like we are, and they can't fix or save themselves. We tend to think of like fixing ourselves like self-help books like, um, like, like Rick Houdini, right? You know, how you would get in like these like magical situations. So, you know, like magic, not like real magic. Chill out. You know? <laughs> and all you need is kind of like a little trick to kind of like save himself, right? Or um, if you've ever, ever done a gym program, the idea is you have all the strength within you and we're just trying to pull it out, right? We're just trying to give you a better context. Saving ourselves, that's, that's not the way salvation works. Right? We don't get freed from our slavery by, by picking the lock, you know? God's the one who has to come in and change and save us by his own power. Did I just go out? Um, God is the one God is the one who comes in and saves us and frees us right? you can't do anything to save yourselves that's one of the things that makes Christianity totally different than the rest of the religions of the world the religions of the world say you have to make your way up to God you have to save yourself up to God Christianity says God comes down to save you God comes down he comes down to save you by his own power. He comes in with his own power to free you by his own power. Only the gospel says that God comes to save sinners. Only Jesus is the one God that comes down to save people from their slavery. So as we're talking about these Ten Commandments, we're saying, Fifth Commandment, honor good authority because you have been oppressed by darkness and and perverse authority. We go down the list, right? But there's a way in which we all have violated these, these commandments in one way or another. We are, in many ways, our pharaohs are represented in these commandments. There's a specific way that each of us are going to look at these and say, I, I, I used to live a life apart from Christ, defined by or living apart from these and violating these commandments. So just as an example, one of the ways I look at um, the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not use your words as weapons. I think about um, in my own life how I've used words to demean and to slander or to cut down other people. I remember there was a situation where I was at my last job um, where it wasn't uh, a coworker came up to me and he said, hey, Jacob, I, I, I was trying to remember exactly what he asked me for this story, but I can't remember for the life of me. He said something along the lines of, Jacob, can you do such, something or whatever? And if you know me, there's a bit of a, I have a gift of sarcasm. <laughs> so I said something, I just like, I cut at him somehow, like jokingly, like, because I knew in my heart, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to, I'm going to help you, or I want to help you, whatever it is you're asking me. But I used my words to cut right at him, and he had this look on his face, like, oh okay, I won't mess with Jacob today. 
he came back to me at the end of the day and he was like, hey, you know, I was really offended when you, uh, when you said that. And I was like, oh man, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I really didn't mean to like cut you down with those words. Like I really was just, but despite my intentions, whatever they were, I was using my words um, in a way that would require him to actually like uh, know my inner thoughts, right? There's no way he could have known that. And they came across as a way of, look, you aren't worth the time of day to give you like a straight answer or to care about how my words are going to affect you, right? So the Bible talks about later, use your words to give grace to people. There's no way that my words were giving grace to him. Now, that might seem like a bit of like a weird extension of ninth commandment, you shall, bear, shall not bear false witness. But the way that that commandment's given is you'll honor people with your words. You'll give grace to them with how you speak about them. And, try, and, and so in that moment, what I'm saying with that story, what I'm revealing in that moment is that in my, in my inner heart, there is, there is a Pharaoh, so to speak, that I have been enslaved to in my a life apart from Christ that would demean and slander other people, that would use my words as weapons. And that's the very thing that Christ comes to save us from, right? We don't, the reason the Ten Commandments are so pointed, or you can feel like the last four or five are very pointed, the reason they're so pointed is because when God calls us to repentance, he doesn't call us to repentance in a general way. We don't repent in a general way. We repent in specifics. God, I am a, I am a, I'm a man that uses my words as weapons apart from you. I want people to think that I am smart and clever and I want them to know that I'm better than they are. I want to use my words that way. That's the slavery that I'm born under. But in the gospel, we have this great reality. God frees us from our slavery. So we have in Romans chapter 6, this great picture, this great description of the gospel and what it does in our lives. So chapter 6 of Romans, verse 6 We know that our old self was crucified with him, that's Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. You see this enslaved language. Apart from Christ, we are enslaved to breaking all of these commandments that God's given us. Because by nature, we hate to live the way God has designed us. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. So he did this in our place. He saved us from our sin. He took this enslaving, uh, the penalty for our enslavement to sin. He took it upon himself once for all. But the life he now lives, he lives to God. So you, might, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We, in the gospel, in Christ, he has saved us from the enslaving power of sin. That doesn't mean that we don't have any more sin in our lives. But the power, the, the way it grips us and holds us and keeps us in its power, right? Because apart from him, I would be the type of person that would use my words to manipulate and demean and use other people. I would use my words that way. But God has freed me from the power of using words to manipulate and demean other people so that I can use my words to bless other people and give them grace and tell them about Jesus and to repent to other people because heaven knows I need it. So the question we want to ask is we're just kind of, I want to finish up this point that the freedom that God gives us in his kingdom is freedom from slavery. 
As we look at the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. What specifically would the Spirit be pointing at in your heart? Calling you to repentance. Repentance about what's been going on. The pharaohs in your life. What are the pharaohs that you still feel grip you? That that draw you back? That allure you away from God? That are saying, this sin is going to be more pleasing than God himself. And how can we confess those things to each other, right? The, the great thing is that these commandments are given in a context. The whole nation is standing in front of God, and Moses reads these to the people. There's a freedom in the gospel that we can now confess the worst things about ourselves to other people. Knowing that the worst thing that could ever be say, said about our sin, all the things that may be in your mind right now, all the, the worst thing that could ever be said about them was said at the cross of Christ. For Christ died the full penalty and wrath of God for all the ways that we have broken these commandments. What's the worst thing that somebody could say? Jacob's a liar. Well, God knows. God knows because he said it on his son. He looked at Jesus and said, Jacob's a liar. And Jesus died in the place of that. So when I say to you, hey, I lied, John can forgive me and know that, well, the worst thing that's said about me is said in the cross. And so we, we experience the freeing, freeing power of the gospel because now we're no longer defined by, these, by breaking these commandments. You guys tracking with me here? Yes? Okay, we're going to move on. Is that cool? All right. The next thing we see in these commandments is that we are freed to serve. Remember that context I was telling you that Exodus 19, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 6. You're to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, to give grace to the nations around you. You're freed by the, by the grace of God to something. You're not just freed from something, right? So you said you're freed out of slavery. Chapter 20, verse 2, you're freed out of slavery. We are now freed to serve, right? One of the things that we could do with these commandments is we could look at them and take them in a hyper-individualistic way. Right? We're, we're in New England. We love fences make good neighbors. <laughs> you know, that idea. These are given to us so that we can actually take these commandments and see them as roads to serve other people. To, to bless other people. We are designed, humans are designed to only flourish in the context of these commandments. So the, the picture that these commandments show us of, of the way God designed the world, of how he made the world a function, is what these commandments capture for us. Of what This is what human flourishing, you might call it, human flourishing looks like. What does it mean to grow and to, to be happy and to be healthy and to grow? I mean, I'm not talking about like, you know, physically strong or whatever. I'm talking about just to be as, as a person, to be flourishing and joyful and happy in God. The commandments give us a picture of that. So, so look at these with me, right? Uh, chapter, uh, the fifth commandment, chapter uh, the 12th verse, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given, is giving you and to be blessed, right? Authority is good. That's what the commandment's about. Authority is good. Authority is actually the context for flourishing and growing, right? You're, you're not, we, we tend to talk about like we want to be free, 
Like in an American context, we're talking about, I want to be free. Like I'm free to choose whatever I want. Well, to free to, free to, be choose, to choose whatever you want means you're enslaved to your own desires. That's horrific. I mean, I just, I mean, I think about if I just were given over to every desire that I've ever had in the last week, I mean, my life would be a total wreck. But God is saying authority in and of itself is good for us. And we thrive and grow under good, blessing authority. True freedom is found in good authority. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder, which is to say people are made to praise God and you cannot deprive them of their life to praise God. That's what it means, right? The, the, there's kind of a way of reading these where you can get the, there's the, 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 the thing that's prohibited, but there's also part of the commandment. This thing is commended. The thing that's commended here is that life is good. And it, we cannot take other people's lives. We cannot define their lives up by how they are like convenient to us, right? No, no, people, you're all, all the people in this room and all of our neighbors are built and made to flourish and loving and praising God, the life that he's given us, right? Our life itself is good. The seventh commandment, right? You shall not commit adultery. We, we, are, we are called to protect and love human dignity. We're made men and women, and we're not to use each other for our own desires. We're actually supposed to bless and preserve and protect each other's dignity. And in the context of marriage, we're supposed to bless and protect and preserve each other's marriages, right? We'll occasionally do once a year, once every other year. It's not because married people are better, but we'll do something on marriage just because marriages, we want to protect people's commitments to each other. It's a way of protecting human dignity, Right, so we, we, a part of what we do is we, we help step in and we protect human dignity. Right, the Bible talks about um, there's basically like a few types of relationships that you have in the church. Right, you're either brothers or sisters, or you write to each other father and mother, or you got a husband or a wife. That's it. We're, we're to protect and preserve each other's dignity, protect and preserve uh, physically honor to each other. Seventh commandment, right? You shall not steal. Right? We're supposed to love and, and help each other flourish uh, in providing for each other. Right? We're supposed to protect good provision for each other. It, it's good to have a job. I just want you guys to know, heaven, you're going to have work. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's the way it is. Because work is good for us. Right? We, we love to be productive and do things. And it's a good way, it's God's ordained way, to have provision for us. To put food on the table. Pay the rent or mortgage if you have one. God, we want to protect and preserve and help each other with the provision that we need, right? Don't take other people and define our world by ourselves. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.